0: With all the complexities, obstacles, and frustrations facing medical providers today, you still have peers out there
1: getting things done and moving medicine forward. Who are they, and how are they doing it?
0: Welcome to Peer Spectrum, the show where we uncover the creative solutions, innovative tools, and advanced practices of our peers throughout the full spectrum of healthcare.
1: Here are your hosts, Keith Mencken and Colin Miller.
0: All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. This is Colin Miller here with Keith Mankin, and today we're happy to have Rachel Koster as our guest. Rachel received her master's degree in interior architecture from Kansas State University. She's an expert in what's called 3D visualization technology. We're going to learn more about that one later. She's also an expert in commercial real estate, especially healthcare space design and development. We picked her brain on this and covered everything from how medical space design affects a patient's mood to how it affects workflow and staff morale. Why are elements such as colors, hallway width, and lighting so important to your practice? We covered leasing, negotiations, and location selection. Have you considered getting into the commercial real estate arena? It's a tricky business, and you're going to want to hear what Rachel has to say. We really covered a lot of ground, and this is definitely an episode you don't want to miss. So let's get started.
2: Okay, uh Rachel, welcome. Um, so uh, we've talked offline uh, when I met you, and uh, you bring a very interesting approach an interesting background to uh, to real uh, tea. can you can you tell me something about your your studies and something about your education and how it's had an impact on what you do in the realty space?
1: Sure. So um, I got my master's in interior architecture, and um, you know I got, I graduated in 2009 when it was like the worst time to go into anything building-wise. And so um, I got opportunity to go actually work at a print shop, which was kind of a fascinating thing, kind of bring in another aspect that I could go do. Um, however, I moved down to Texas, and that's when I got to go into interior architecture and actually start doing design, which was it was cool. It was, it was really fascinating. Um, I love helping people and getting that right fit for what they need. But it just wasn't um, kind of what I needed as far as challenge and, and, and kind of moving forward in my life. And so that's what moved me to uh, commercial real estate. And that I really love because now I get to bring in the interior architecture background and, and really help people marry what the right real estate is versus what it will become as they develop the space.
2: Right. Well, most of our listeners are probably not really aware of what internal architecture really means. How would you define that?
1: Interior—it's the—it's architecture plus interior design. So, um, okay. I mean, it's really kind of thinking about the walls and where they are placed, and kind of you know, a wider hallway will make you feel different than a more narrow hallway, and you know, there's codes and things as well to keep keep things standards, but just You know, extending a hallway, you know, six inches to the right or left will make it a differently, uh, different appearance or different uh, atmosphere going through.
2: Absolutely. Um, I think that uh, one of the things that people don't realize when they're looking at architecture, unless they're building their own building, which some doctors choose to do, and I know Mm -hmm. you have opinions about that as well, um, (laughs) is that they can actually make changes in the space when they see it. Um, Is that something that you address with a client, especially a medical client? Um, And is that something that you will bring up in the course of working with them?
1: Oh, absolutely. Like um, anything brand new, I would highly suggest doing the 3D visuals. There's really easy uh, programs out there such as SketchUp that you can uh, extrude walls and really give you a three-dimensional space. Second generation spaces, which I mean like there's already a medical practice in there and let's say another doctor's trying to go in there and uh, create their own, it was, you know, dentist, and now we're trying to convert it to a dermatologist. Um, that, that gets a little bit harder for people to see. You know, I've, I'm showing people spaces. Sometimes when they have a blank canvas and it's just a, just a box and shell, it's a little bit easier for them to visualize. And then other people do need the walls there and they're like, oh, yeah, I can just easily break that wall down or or open this up to be a conference room. So it kind of, it it varies from person to person, but I think there's a lot of tools out there that we can use these days to help visualize for people.
0: Well, Rachel, that brings up two things because some of our audience, they're gonna be in a position where they have more influence. Maybe they're opening a new practice in a new location. Uh, Maybe they're involved with a hospital, building a new project, but other ones are gonna be kind of stuck where they are. So they're gonna be looking at this uh, second generation space, as you mentioned. Let's take both of them. Let's start with a new office practice. If I'm a physician and I'm approaching you about moving into Dallas, for example, take us through the process. What would we expect the first time we meet you? Uh, what would we actually see and experience when we're looking at these 3D visualizations? Just take us through the path there.
1: Well, and it's it's um, to get to the 3D visualizations, take a little bit of time. Really, it's communication as anything. The doctor really needs to communicate what their whole intention of the spaces, you know, are they just gonna do building standard? Are they gonna do higher upgraded finishes? You know, it used to be in the 90s and 80s that you'd have reception desks that were a little teeny tiny hole that, you know, cause of HIPAA you didn't need to be able to see all the files. Now you go into doctor's offices and they're big and open and they're vast and they're very, kind of homey essentially. And so um, it can definitely change, but it's really narrowing down what that goal is of the doctor. And then programming is kind of laying out like the necessities that are needed. So, you know, how many exam rooms you need, how much office space do you need to know? And then the flow is a huge, huge thing about that. Cause you don't want your patients to just be lost <laughs> roaming around the office. And um, so to make it very clear how, how the whole space is organized is very important as well.
0: Well, you mentioned wider hallways, for example. If you were to put yourself in the shoes of a patient coming into an office, what are some of the key elements that would make you feel comfortable as a patient, and some things that would make you feel otherwise?
1: For me, I think open spaces does does help that. Um, you know, even colors can can change that mood. Um, cleanliness, I think that kind of is a big interpreter. I mean, it's all those first impression things. I mean, the reception desk is a big focal point of it. And as you go through, you want to make certain that your hallways aren't real long and narrow. So hopefully they're real short and maybe they open up to a nurse's desk or um, it's laid out in a way that it's kind of open and you can kind of see that you're not going being dragged through this maze. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Um, One of the messages that we tried to bring and we've talked about a lot about in this uh, podcast is the personality of the practice. Mm. Um, So it's very important that everything about the practice from the staff to the website to the doctor or the provider, him or herself, really has a uniform personality. Um, How do you use the real estate? How do you use the office to express the personality? Um, what ways do you use to find out what the personality is in the first place? And how can you advise uh, a physician or a medical provider to to make changes that will reflect that?
1: Ah, that's a fascinating one. Um, I mean, it's always easy to bring that in through your interior design elements. You mm-hmm. know, if they're a real clean, simple line doctor, and they want to show this very you know, stature of a place, or if they're more of the homey want to, you know, kind of have a little bit more softer feeling to the space. Um, And that's kind of one of those things that's really beneficial on my part, because I get to develop a relationship while I'm driving the doctor around showing them the spaces, you know, in that process, you learn so much. It's almost if I could have a one on one with with a designer would be so beneficial because I have gained so much knowledge about that person and where they're from and, um, and what their whole goal and intention is throughout the whole process. So again, it's that communication and not having that disconnect um, from, from one to the other.
0: And obviously collaboration here is key from the get go. Um, How often do you involve the other staff members, uh, the nurses, the secretaries uh, in this process? Because obviously they're going to be using this space too. And their personality and perspective may be different than the providers, but still going to be pretty important.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, And I think that's usually up to the doctor's discretion. You know, some doctors hand it off to the office managers to really take, you know, the bull by the horns and go do this, or, or, you know, whether the doctor's more hands-on, or you know collaboration with the whole group would be very beneficial I think because then you get the perspective of everyone um, going into it however when I'm helping a doctor I'm lucky to get in front of the doctor and usually most of my um, most of my time is around with the office manager so there's a lot of things that happen with just the office managers assumptions that um, may not be com- clearly, clearly communicated between the doctor and the office manager
2: Right. Yeah, we we do see that. Unfortunately, that sometimes part of the problems in an office is the disconnect between what the staff thinks the doctor wants and what the doctor really wants. And it certainly Mm -hmm. would be advantageous. And hopefully people listening to this will say, oh, you know, they're right. Next time I have to do a um, uh, get a new space, I want to talk to the realtor. Um, How how much do you step out of the box when you're showing spaces? I mean, if a, if a doctor says something like, well, I really have this vision of a, a, or the office manager, I really have this vision of this big open space and people are are in it and then uh, they go off onto, um, into separate uh, corners and it's like Disney World sort of thing. Can I say that, Colin? <laughs> are we going to get in trouble with with, um, with uh, trademark? Not yet. Um, okay. Um, don't talk
0: about alligators or anything we will be okay.
2: no that's okay. <laughs> So, um, how how brave are you willing to be? Are you willing to show them uh, a space that they would never think of as a medical Space and and sell it as no wait. Look at my vision. This is what I think would work
1: um, I think that varies. I think, you know, it's like as we're building that re- Rapport with that doctor or office manager. You kind of have to read them. Are they looking for a very specific thing Mm-hmm. you know and, and it's my job to present all the options right. so yeah I mean there's opportunities that I've had to present something that's a and I always you know you have to set up expectations and you're like hey <laughs> this might not fit all your needs but I want you to think open-mindedly about this and kind of take them through it and open them up the the thought process of how the space could change to fit their needs
2: I see. So you wouldn't show them a black box experimental theater right off the bat, but you might move them that way. So
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. A you know, bowling alley or uh, rock climbing wall in the back office or hey, you idea. know what a
2: great idea. I think well, that's, let's do that it. definitely shows the personality.
0: Rachel, I'm just thinking back. Last year, I had a, um, a periodontal gum grafting operation done. Not a big thing, but I remember going into the office, and one of the key things for me was when they had coffee there, which. You know, I figured they're going to be looking inside my mouth. They wouldn't want to hear smell coffee breath, so obviously they <laughs> care enough about us to, to give it to us ahead of time. But they also had basically a a uh, fireplace set up with pictures of their own family members. Huh. The staff and the doctors lined up, just like you'd see at your own home. And I, I thought that was interesting. Some providers wouldn't feel comfortable maybe sharing that much of their private life with their patients. Some would. But there's got to be elements like that all over and some are going to work for some people, some are not. How many, how often do you take providers out to show them other models, for example? And oh,
1: that's huge. Work in the,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where work, can work people, you know, maybe go online to look at some of these things and get some ideas to kind of, uh, you know, implement into their own strategy here.
1: So any of the healthcare firms, interior design firms are really great resources because they have, you know, multiple pictures of different spaces right there. Most doctors though, that I've met have a space in mind that they'd like to mimic or like to take after, you know, things like the uh, picture frames and the coffee, that's just showing that they really care about you or they're trying, you know, to try to show that and that they they trust you to kind of welcome into their home and such like that. So adding little personable things, and again, like goes back to what Keith said, It's it's adding a little bit of their personality into the space and making it theirs almost to share with their patients.
2: Are there times where a doctor has said, well, I really want it to look like this space and you've had to say either it's impossible or no, that's not a good idea, it won't work?
1: Usually budgets kind of stop that. (laughs) So it's like, well, yeah, you can have this $90 per square foot space, but you have a $40 per budget you know, per square foot budget, so. Um, usually we come up with solutions though, to, um, you know, bring the space, especially it's usually the higher end spaces like that, to bring them up. There's things like by 3M they have a, um, it's, it's just a sticker really. It's a wrap that goes over cabinets that can help spruce those up. And, you know, a lot can be done with a new fresh paint and carpet, which is about $6 a square foot to install and do. And those are little little things that they can do to the space to kind of spruce it up and, you know, if they want to change it a bit. And that could be done over a weekend with some contractors.
0: Yeah, that actually got me to one of my later questions. What are some other ideas, maybe quick fixes and little weekend projects that physicians could look at right now that would make major improvements uh, even, you know, avoiding a long-term project that may be a couple of years off, but what could they do right now?
1: Well, anything that's cosmetic is always easy to be done. You know, moving walls gets a little gets to be a little bit harder. Like I said, paint, carpet, new new wall covering, that can all be done in, in a weekend's time and then the doctor doesn't have to um, lose any time to see patients. You know, countertops and things like that are a little bit harder to replace, but they could easily be cut one week during the week and then uh, be installed over the weekend if they want to kind of spruce that up. Um, and like I said, like the vinyl wrap that goes over the, the cabinets, uh, that's all for the, all the vertical surfaces. Can't do it on the horizontal because it just gets too much uh, wear and tear, but it's a great way to just spruce it up. Um, as far as that, I mean, typically doctor's offices have a lot of built-ins for all the desks and such. So there's really not any like reconfiguration that you can really do and they've already got a process in place, so it's kind of every space is very unique to a doctor in that sense because every doctor has a different way of how they want to have their admin sit or you know the jobs of their of their uh, employees and how, how they want their patients to also see see the employees.
2: It's it's interesting. It strikes me that um, that having uh, working with someone like you would be beneficial because the um, at least the office manager or possibly the provider would have to actually figure out what that vision is, how the he or she wants the employees to be. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of times we don't even realize that there's a flow there until somebody says, "Well, what's the flow?" And then we have to stop and think, "Oh, I never even thought of that. It just happens organically." Yeah, they so,
1: anyway. don't. Their job is to you know, fill out charts or you know, do billing or something like that. They don't, they don't ever consider the space and how, how it reflects on the, the um, patient. So again, this goes back to a good you know, real estate agent or a good uh, interior designer to really help pull and kind of qualify and ask all these questions of the doctor to kind of get in there and really know what they want and what their end goal is.
2: Well, let, let's go back to your um, your uh, interior architecture training and some abstractions and some theory <laughs> a little bit. Oh,
1: okay.
2: Um, yeah. So, um, what is what constitutes the perfect space in your mind for a medical office? Um, if you could, if you were given the keys to design, you know, money's no object. And we talked about the wide hallways and everything. What What is a space that really would work uh, for just a, a general medical practice or, or anything where people have to come and go um, on a regular basis?
1: Oh, Keith, you, you stumped me on that one. I mean, as a designer, uh, you're always just wanting... Your perfect space is if the doctor really loves the space. You know, Your whole goal okay. is to make sure that the client really loves it. And it's, it's hard to say if there's a perfect space because... Um, as an interior designer or a real estate agent, I'm always faced with all these challenges, all these kind of left and right turns that I have to deal with. It's not going to be necessarily, it's going to be 40 foot by 50 foot space. It's always going to be a weird aisle shape or it's going right. to be something. There's always going to be those Um, things or like the doctor wants to be on the corner so that's already given a corner office for him okay well then none of the exam rooms can go on there do you want internal exam rooms who's all gonna see this daylight space so there's always all these questions and um, things to ask to kind of get to know again what the doctor's intent is with their space and what their goals are
2: sure Okay, but in the theoretical sense, um, <laughs> you know, there are studies that show that that certain types of space are more conducive for for care, or for nurturing, or things like that. Um, that certainly is it may uh, uh, is in play in the real world. I mean, when you look at real estate, you know something is right just because it's there and you can feel it, but. Are there certain things that you would look at and say, oh, this is clearly not a medical space versus, oh, yes, this will work for a medical space?
1: Ah, um, Again, I think this goes back to your doctors. Um, you know, if they need a big reception area, that's kind of hitting all those areas that they really need. Um, you know, do they need a lot of room for the admin? Do they need a small reception area? And um, it's got good flow. I think flow is really the biggest, um, biggest challenge because, you know, some doctor's offices I walk into and they've got everything wrapped around the admin and the nurse's station and Mm. it just kind of all falls off of that. And other ones, it's down long, long, windy halls, and then you're open up to the nurse's station or, you know, they all can really, they all really vary.
0: Okay. Well, are there particular elements that really help with efficiency? Um, obviously, the, the size of the, the hallways and where the desk is situated, but are there things that maybe cause congestion points that are real keys for you to walk into an office?
1: Well, and that's, again, having a conversation with doctors. Where are your heavy flow and traffic, traffic flows? Because you don't want it, you know, if it's in front of the restroom because you're going to have all your patients go use the restroom before you see them, well, make sure there's a wider restroom area or, um, you know, if there's always going to be... Um, an area for the nurse to take the vitals or to take the weight measurement. You know, I think that's why they kind of space out patients in some practices so that they don't have that congestion, especially if they're in a smaller space. And then other ones have to be more efficient. Like PCPs typically have to be seeing people over and over and over. So I think they have to really have a very efficient space to have people go in and out um, easily. One thing that always kills me is there's always a bunch of doors when you're trying to leave you're you're checking out and there's a bunch of doors and you're like which door is it so, even, right. something, so even something even something as like wayfinding of little signs to have around it helps your patients just feel more at ease rather than having that stress point of number 1 or 2 or 3 or doors which one do I go through <laughs>
2: That's a, that's a great point, especially with either a very young or a very old population. The signage is so important and you don't want people to get lost and also even feel like getting lost. I think that a lot of it is, um, is the, the psychology of how they feel when they step in. Um, and I'm sure that that's something that you've, you've seen that there are, are spaces that feel like fear tunnels and places that feel <laughs> like they're train stations, right?
1: Oh yeah. And well, and and especially when I walk into the the second generation spaces, I've got a couple spaces right now that I'm trying to fill that are 1980s carpet walls, curved curved corners. It's strange, but um, it, it does. It, there's always you know every 10 years they say in design everything kind of updates. So there's a new cycle. Like you know we used to see little teeny tiny transaction windows where you know when you walked in at the reception, now you're seeing these big grand entries and kind of opening up, so I'm sure in the next 10 years it'll be a next big evolution movement. You know, I'm already seeing that in real estate that a lot of doctors are leaving the hospital areas, those multi-tenant buildings, and they're moving to the resident, or not the residential, I'm sorry, the retail spaces so they mm-hmm. can have more signage and things like that. However, you take over a retail space, um, is great for, um, for signage and everything, and access and parking, but you better be ready for uh, spending some money on uh, trenching the concrete in the on the um, on the base ground there to allow all the water that's needed for most doctors so
2: oh, interesting point yeah, that's so that, there's something we don't think about absolutely
1: yeah, it can rack up the bill pretty fast, but if that's where they want to be, that's what they have to do as well
2: yeah. I thought you were going to say spend a lot of money on blinds because the windows are are so open in a lot of those retail spaces. It's a little hard to (laughs) get that privacy going.
1: That's a good point. There's also also film and other options too. But yeah, that is another point that they have to add that as well.
0: Well, Rachel, you're getting me thinking about location. I know that's a big word in real estate. Right before we get into this, because I think we can spend a little bit of time there. Let's just go back to that patient that's trying to find their way out of the office in the maze of doors and signs and this and that. Mm-hmm. Something Keith and I talk a lot about on the show is measuring patient satisfaction and feedback. And one tool, of course, is using a survey. If you are asked to contribute some questions, maybe just three questions for a survey for a physician, and you're asking the patient about their experience just as it related to the design and layout of the office— what are three questions that you would think would be particularly valuable in that?
1: Mm. First impression. Um, did you have a good first impression? Did you feel that the uh, space was efficient maybe? Maybe that's how the want to word it or perhaps kind of lost the words here.
0: No, I mean, maybe just an open-ended question. What was your first impression? Because yeah. they may not even have to articulate it. Just did they feel good or did they feel comfortable, or did they not? I think that actually is a good question.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and you have a different um, environment and atmosphere waiting in the in the waiting room versus if you're waiting for the doctor in the in the exam room. you know, one of the things I might point out is maybe you should invest in some different art, having two of the p- same pieces of art on the wall isn't really fun to look at for 10 minutes while I'm waiting. <laughs> have, change it up, have a different color scheme or something. <laughs> That's
2: right. That's a good point. But the consistency of the environment, actually, the it's not so much consistency, but the, the, um, the homogeny of the environment. So you get a sense the waiting room feels the same or as the back room, or at least not so different that somebody thinks they've stepped into a different space. That's an excellent point. So we looked at
0: maybe, I think, two questions here. One would be your first impression coming into an office. The other could be a two-parter. You're looking at how do they feel when they first show up in the waiting room, and then two, how they feel maybe in the exam room. Is there another question you think would be pretty valuable for a patient just to get an assessment of how they reacted to the design and layout of the office?
1: I think the next thing for me personally is how the staff is, and that wouldn't have anything to do with the, um, efficiency, unless it's, unless the nurse is just running around and it's the most inefficient space and she's having to run from one side of the nurse's station to the other all day and they could make that more efficient, you know, always having a nice friendly nurse. I mean, that's, who's welcoming you, um, makes a huge difference. I think for your experience.
0: No, I think that's perfect. And we're going to add all these to the show notes. So folks can go back and look at these. And obviously we'd love to hear feedback from all our viewers on questions. You might ask your patients and yeah. feedback here as well, but let's go to location. Tell us, location. Rachel, how, how important is location? Assuming you have the power to pick, you're not just using an existing office. And what are some considerations that be, should be front and center on a provider's mind when they're going through this?
1: Oh, uh, I've had everything. Um, so being a second generation medical space can be a huge benefit because you're not having to lay all that pipe work for all the plumbing and such Um, parking can be a huge um, huge issue for some doctors that's what usually in the doctors that are in the hospitals sometimes the parking gets crazy or they just can't find parking it's again it becomes a maze and trying to find it whereas again this is where retail spaces are kind of popping up as far as doctors are relocating there, and it kind of is good because then you know exactly where you're going. Um, I've had doctors on the second floor of the retail spaces. Have you seen those, the two-story retail spaces? (laughs) And so you can see, oh, doctor such and such is right there on the second floor, but then it's like, how do you get to the second floor? And you have to find that stairwell that's hidden behind the retail shopping center for baby's clothes, (laughs) and it's like, where is this? Wait. So um, again, I think signage or making sure you have a space that is easy to get to, especially for, I guess it depends on your client basis too. If you're seeing a client, you know, three or four times a year, probably the first time they'll figure it out. But if they're coming in once a year and um, can't always remember how to get to, you, it can kind of become troublesome for them. I mean, That's why my biggest complaint, of people don't like, to, or the doctors don't like to move because... You know, especially if they see a patient once a year or maybe biannually, they have to always constantly remind that person or those patients, hey, we've moved to such and such location. We sh-, you know, Make sure you come to the new location versus the old location.
0: Right. So, and how about proximity to um, the highways and public transportation? I- I've even heard from some consultants out there that some doctors may not want to be too close to a bus station, for example. Other ones would. Um, are those things yeah. that come to, into play as well?
1: I mean, definitely in other types of real estate that I've done. But actually, now that you bring that up, I've never had a doctor request to be to be near a, a dart station or the bus station or public transit. Um, but, you know, it's like we're starting to get driverless cars eventually. Maybe we'll actually have need that, and those doctors will succeed further because, you know. That's kind of the way the world's taken us.
0: Sure. Interesting point. And then as far as being in close proximity to a hospital, to other medical practices, is that something that's really important or is that a secondary consideration when you're looking at all the other elements, especially with having the exact right kind of space layout?
1: I think it all depends upon, um, upon that doctor's needs, really. You know, obviously OBGYNs need to stay very close to the hospital just for their general needs, whereas a chiropractor or maybe an acupuncturist, they're fine with going in across town from the
0: the hospital. Absolutely. Rachel, do you have a favorite client study, maybe someone you worked with in the past that was... Maybe difficult at first. Maybe it was a real challenge, and it's just something that's really stuck in your mind.
1: On the design side or on the real estate side?
0: Let's do the design first.
1: Uh, design. Um, I had a gentleman that really wanted a very uh, sculptural piece in his front entry, and it had to be just right. Um, he put some parameters on it for um, how to have water, a water feature. Um, very fascinating. I would just... I did um, a lot of of the three-dimensional case study models for it. So at least we didn't spend a lot of money building it and he didn't like it. Um, So we were able to give him a few renderings and assess how, how, what he liked of it, what he didn't like of it, what he wanted to change. And finally, we finally got the perfect sculptural element that he wanted for his front entry. (laughs) It's kind of a fascinating one with real estate. Um, it's always just digging in biggest trouble there is just digging in and getting them to speak and to communicate clearly what their whole intentions are you know you can ask a question but sometimes a lot of doctors have to sit and stew on it because it's not what they've been really thinking first and foremost um because we're kind of the start of that process so um i think it's easier by the time you get to the designer if the real estate person is asked the right right questions and kind of figured out their whole intention of what they're wanting from the space a lot of that information the doctor already knows for the designer sure.
0: makes a lot
2: of what, sense what space um describe the the space either as a realtor or a designer that you liked the best that that you worked with
1: mm. oh that's hard um Recently, well, this is just one that I've just just seen recently. Actually, going into the doctor's offices and just talking to them, um, it was actually an eye doctor, and it was really just a gorgeous space. You know, big open entry, and you could see everything that they did right there. There was no hiding behind walls or anything. They could see people interacting. You know, I'm I'm one of those. I love people watching. So personally, for me, it was like, oh, you know, if I could be in the in the waiting room but have someone to kind of watch there as they're trying on the glasses and see their experience. You know, obviously that person's not going to get upset at them or anything then, or at least hope not. If they do, maybe that's the time you leave the office. You're like, maybe this isn't the eye doctor for me. That's
0: right. (laughs) Well, Rachel, let's take a shift from design and let's talk about real estate a little bit. Um, Let's start with one example of negotiating a lease looking at a lease, and we'll also look at maybe purchasing commercial real estate, but if I'm a provider and I'm looking at signing a lease, these are usually longer-term leases, obviously, with commercial real estate, mm-hmm. what should be going through my head? What should I be prepared for? And what kind of people, besides you, should I be involved with when I'm preparing to make a decision like this?
1: Well, any good real estate agent will have kind of all the necessities of. Uh, people's people for you to really connect you with. We're, we're really the connectors of everything I feel like, and kind of facilitators. Um, but before you really need to have a solid, um, understanding of what area you want to go to. Location is a big thing, especially for doctors, cause they do tend to stay for 10, 20 plus years. You know, you don't want to be moving all the time. Um, and then the other second is to really consider budget. Um, you know, and, and that's really kind of where I come in, and I, I get to help educate the doctors because sometimes they um, don't realize how, how good of a deal they have at their current space. You know, they may want to move out, but they realize that, oh, well, I'm going to be paying twice as much over there, and that's really when they get away that option of, oh, is it a good time? For, is is this time for me to move? Is this not? Um, and then getting into purchasing, I've had several doctors do that. And um, that seems to be very beneficial for them because they're now no longer um, paying the rent. They actually have ownership in them. Um, but as Keith and I had a prior discussion, it's always best to have a property management there so that they can focus on what they do best of, of treating their patients and the property management can uh, help you know, run the building if the AC goes out, things like that. So it really takes a lot of burden off of the doctors.
2: Are there, uh, because we're really babes in the wood when it comes to anything uh, that is outside of medicine, are there things we absolutely have to watch out for in a lease or an ownership situation? What are the big red flags that we have to say, oh, no, stay away, you're going to get burned?
1: Mm. Well, you always want a good landlord. Um yeah you know if it's hard to find a good landlord and if they're going to take care of you um, you'll probably see signs of that again a good real estate agent will point these things out for you all leases just keep this in mind all leases are written for the landlord and to protect them you know because it is really hard to actually kick out a tenant as as hard as that seems you know most people that are in good stature of paying their rent and everything are like, Oh, they're going to kick me out if I don't pay my rent just on the first. But, um, you know, there's, there's a whole legal side of that that they have to, you know, give so many notices to get you out and everything. So on the light, on the counterbalance of that, the landlord has a lot of language written in all those leases to really protect them and their rights and what they get. Um, you know, if, if the um, tenant goes into default and things like that, so.
0: That makes sense. And obviously, we'd be relying a lot on you, Rachel, and your expertise and experience in an area. But are there anything is there anything like a red flag, especially when you're trying to assess a real estate management firm, uh, a lease or that we should be looking out for when we're considering this?
1: Um, really ask. I guess it's qualifying them and really asking the questions of why they do this job in this position. You know, quickly you'll find out if they're really passionate about it or if they're just some Joe Schmo on the street trying to get the best of the deal and get you in there. And really, I've heard stories of of other real estate agents just getting. Um, I think it was a plastic surgeon, and she was placed right next to another plastic surgeon, <laughs> um, and there was exclusive on the building. So. That real estate agent got got in there, placed her, signed a lease, got his commission, and went on in the day, and and she was left and like, this isn't a space I can work out of. There's an exclusive on the on the property, so um, especially when you get into retail spaces, you have to do watch out for the exclusivities, and right. um, different um, complexes. That, you know, if they already have one dentist, maybe they can't have another dentist. Or maybe they're looking for a certain type of dentist to really pair well with that one, be it um, an orthodontist or a pediatrician or a pediatrician dentist kind of
0: thing. And that may be something you want coming into it. If you're the only dentist there, exactly. you don't want someone else coming in after you. So that makes a lot of sense. That's a, a key point. Um, would you consider going around and asking some of the other tenants about their experiences? Um is this going to little oh, too far? I highly
1: recommend that. No, I highly recommend that. As I'm going out um, and just meeting with businesses, that's one of the first questions I ask for them. Hey, I see that you have some vacancies in the area. Do you like the shopping center? Have you had a good experience with the ownership, the property management? All of those are key elements of, of what your experience may be. Now, ask multiple people because um, there's been some people out there that have uh, – uh, bad intentions and they just are upset at the landlord because well they had to take over their space and they're having to kick him out and because they didn't have another space to relocate them so there's always different perspectives so you got to keep that in mind but um, for the most part I hope that people are happy where they're at and if it's a full shopping center if it's an empty shopping center you might want to think twice about why it's empty
0: <laughs> probably a good cool. deal
1: though <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a great deal <laughs>
0: Well, let's look at buying commercial real estate again, because commercial real estate can be very tempting, but it's also a complicated business, and there's people who do this professionally, and they spend their whole career doing this. So trying to jump into it just on the side, even as a side investment for a physician, could be a be hazardous in some ways. What should a provider be thinking about if they're getting into this, and should they wait Till they're maybe a little more experienced, maybe lease a place first. Um, what are some what's some advice you'd give to to providers thinking about making the leap into the, this this field?
1: I mean, it's always good to lease for a little while, and that way you can have also a better understanding of your business, especially if you're uh, kind of a brand new startup position. Um, as far as getting into the you know the trusts and the real estate, uh, the REITs, the real estate trust, um, it's again qualifying that real estate agent. You know, Keith and I had a conversation, you really have to um, qualify your doctors and ask questions and be part of that experience. Likewise, you can't just, you need to really ask the questions and really qualify your real estate agent um, or investor or whoever you're working with to make certain that they're not going to take your money and run. Um, I just heard of a story the other day actually um from one of the senior brokers in my shop that there was a rumor that that disney world was going to come to dallas texas well this gentleman had taken all this money and for the investment of it and is now in jail because he has taken his their money and and fraudulent (laughs) things so so you just you can't trust everybody unfortunately as small of a world it is wish wish you could but you really can't and that's kind of when you're Pulling your money in there and investing, you really have to have good quality people. And so again, this comes back to the relationship and having that relationship with your real estate agent to really help help right. them. If they're not good at investments, they're gonna guide you to somebody that's good at, with investments.
2: Now, Rachel, I don't know if you can answer this. I don't know if you'll know the answer to it, but uh, a lot of times when you're buying into a partnership, uh, the partnership owns properties. Um, so I'm talking about a doctor buying into a, a medical partnership. Um, the problems that I've had and I've seen in situations where that's been the case is people have been investing it for different amounts of time. And so they yeah. have to figure out how to how they're gonna justify or, or uh, get the buy-in to be somewhat equal so you don't have different uh, classes of physicians and owners. What kind of advice, if you have any, would you give to somebody in that position? What what would they look for in the buy-in to say, okay, I'm getting a good deal in the ownership in this setting?
1: Well, and you have to make that appealing for those that are in the current ownership and right. those that are coming into. Um, a lot of the ones that I have that are kind of like that, are, it's d- divided up by pro rata share of how much square footage they have. That's how much they they get a vote in it. And it really kind of works out well. Um, and typically, uh, they also have a board where you can vote in so many people, and the board makes those decisions. So um, you can kind of help get your get your say through the board, and they kind of make the decisions overall for the whole whole complex, depending on how many doctors or physicians or investors are in the in the property
2: are there um, specific questions about the real estate or the ownership that a new, a prospective uh, partner should ask? I mean, as I know nothing about real estate ownership, and yet I've owned um, three office buildings in my life with, with other groups. So, um, you know, are there, are there ways to tell if it's a good investment? Are there ways to tell if it's a good building? Are there certain things that we should be asking with our eyes open going in?
1: Again, I think this is, you need to definitely pull in the real estate agent because they're going to know the market. So it really comes down to market, you know, whether it's a vibrant area, you know, do they kind of foresee, they can kind of see about five, 10 years in the future. And if it's going to be a vibrant area, then, you know, will you get your money out of it? Is this a good investment now? And then the area is really building up around it. Um, The other thing is, is typically these are set up as condos. And so the big, big thing that you need to catch there are the condo fees, mm-hmm. especially when you're buying um, a brand new condo. A lot of people are like, "Oh, the condo fees are, or the con- the taxes right now are, are two dollars a square foot, which is nothing." However, that's when it's just concrete and studded walls. Uh, you got to keep in mind that when you, you know, finish out the space your tax assessment is going to go up. And so that catches a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then all of a sudden that $200 a year is turned into five grand a year or whatever the difference is when it's fully assessed and you have all these high-end finishes in there or whatever it may be. Another one that catches people off guard is a floodplain, surprisingly enough. Right. So with floodplains, just like as you have your house, you also have to consider there's going to be an extra tax when you're your buildings in a floodplain um probably doesn't mean much especially if it's not anywhere near the water or anything like that depending on the space but if it is it's always something to consider and make sure that your building's not going to float away if there happens to be a large rainstorm or anything like that
0: that makes a lot of sense something i wouldn't have thought about at all but um if you don't look at those things early on, that can be a major headache down the road and you could be really stuck how much you can do at that point.
1: Well, especially when you fall in love with the space, that's the hardest part is finding out the zoning issues or, or little things like the tax assessments or whatever, you know, again, again, a good real estate agent will know these things as they, as they can educate the physician or tenant to, to find the best, best thing for their buck.
0: Well, Rachel, we're getting close to the end of the hour, and we obviously want to be respectful of your time. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, if you have time, we're just going to do two more quick questions and wrap it up. Does that sound okay? That sounds
1: great. Yeah. Well,
0: if we're our viewers are looking a little deeper into the subject, and they're not necessarily ready to move their office yet. Maybe they're still in residency and they're thinking about this, um, although they're probably pretty busy if they're in residency. But are there maybe resources, books um, online associations, things that you could point people towards if they just want to start to learn a little bit more and get familiar with the terms and terminology and the and the landscape of, of um, healthcare design and real estate?
1: Ooh. Um, well, I, you know, the World Wide Web always has a lot out there. Um, if there's anything that you can find, it's always, especially for like a physician just coming out, the best thing to know is where all your competitors are. Do you want to be around them or not? Um, and then, you know, I'm sure there's tons of books on design that could really help steer you, even just picking up not necessarily something specific as to a medical space, but like a color study book might be beneficial because color really can play in a lot on um, on your different spaces and kind of what it um, intrigues people to do, like blue makes people buy. <laughs> red is actually an
0: appetite inducer. (laughs) Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And Rachel, just to finish up, tell us how people can learn more about you and, uh, get in contact with you.
1: Uh, sure. Um, I work at Hudson Peters commercial and so we could definitely go to our website, which is www.hudsonpeters.com. Um, I try to be on all of my Twitter and, um, Facebook and all those social media outlets as well. Um, but they can always shoot me an email at coster at HudsonPeters.com.
0: Well, Rachel, that's great. We'll put all that in the show notes and links and email. And we just we're delighted to have you on today. Thank you for sharing your time with us. It's been a, a real joy talking with you and learning more about this area. It's, I can tell there's a lot more I've got to do to to understand this uh, sector as well. <laughs> but um,
1: Well, you know what makes a successful person, though, is not necessarily knowing everything, just knowing the people to go to.
2: That's right. That's very. Yeah. True. So the answer is to find you, not necessarily find the knowledge. So that's great. Well, thank you very much. Um, this has been really an eye opener and very, very uh, a lot of fun. So I really enjoyed having you on. Likewise, thank you for having me on.
0: Well, thank you again, Rachel, and thank you everybody for tuning in today. This is Pure Spectrum of Keith Mankin and Colin Miller. We'll see you here next time. Have a great afternoon. See you soon.
2: Thanks for joining us on Peer Spectrum. Please support the show by writing
0: a review on iTunes and join the conversation at PeerSpectrum.com. Keep up with the latest episodes and share your ideas with us on Twitter, Facebook, or email
2: at PeerSpectrum.com.